Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about empowering couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. I'm Kristen Cornett, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of an online fertility practice called Tiny Feet. I work with women and couples all over the world to optimize their health and fertility so they can build the families they've always dreamed of. You can learn more about me on my website at tinyfeet.co. Thanks so much for tuning in with me today. Before we get started, I just want to share a couple of awesome free resources that can help move you forward on your fertility journey. First is the Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant quiz, which will ask you about symptoms in five areas of health that are foundational to fertility and provide you with some practical tips on how to get started addressing each area. Next is the free mini course on how to choose the best prenatal supplements, which walks you through the specific nutrients you need to support your fertility and a healthy pregnancy, and how to find high quality supplements to meet your needs. And lastly, if you're wanting more individualized advice for where to go next on your fertility journey, or you're thinking you'd like to work with me one-on-one, you can go ahead and schedule a free 20-minute phone consult with me. You can find links to all three of these resources through the link in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 75, and I'm going to be interviewing fertility health coach Samantha Kelgren about exercise for fertility and the importance of eating enough and maintaining adequate body fat to balance your cycle, maintain healthy hormones, and support a pregnancy. We also talk a lot about Samantha's personal experience with hypothalamic amenorrhea and her journey of recovery that involves significant changes to her exercise and nutrition routines. In this episode, you'll learn why overdoing it on exercise and keeping body fat too low is detrimental to fertility, some of the red flags that might indicate a problem with your food or fitness habits, how you can find support to make changes in these areas to support your fertility, what type and amount of exercise is actually recommended for optimal fertility, and what it was like for Samantha to make these changes and successfully overcome hypothalamic amenorrhea and have a beautiful, healthy baby. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to Samantha, and we'll get started on the interview. Samantha Kelgren is certified through ACE Fitness and the Integrative Women's Health Institute as a preconception through postnatal health coach. She currently lives in Asheville with her husband, toddler, and dog. After being diagnosed with hypothalamic amenorrhea, finding out it's possible to be too fit to get pregnant, and undergoing IVF to have their son, Samantha made drastic changes to her unhealthy relationship with exercise and healthy eating. She now supports other women through the major mindset shifts around food and fitness that it takes to get pregnant. Samantha has been featured on Scary Mommy, the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast, Run Lift Mom, and the Beat Infertility podcast. You can find links to her website and social media in the show notes for this episode through the link in the episode description. Enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome, Samantha Kelgren. Thank you so much for joining me today on Mastering Your Fertility. I'm really excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is a topic that we really haven't covered in depth yet on the podcast. And so why don't you start out by just sharing a little bit about your background and how you got started into health coaching? Yeah. So I really got into health coaching when I was um, a runner. <laughs> so I started running and really enjoyed answering questions from kind of newer runners about about their training, about what they were eating. Um, 
questions from coworkers about like, what you know, recipes are you making? They knew I was into health and fitness. And I would give these detailed emails with links and you know, bullet points and everything. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the conversation around it. Um, and when it was timed, I felt like I didn't want to be where I was anymore. I was in <clears throat> nonprofit events and it was like, I don't know what I want to do, but it's something with health and fitness. I don't know what it is. And, you know, health coaching wasn't as prevalent as it is now. I feel like people are now starting to know a little more about it, but this was in maybe 2014, 2015. And found some health coaching programs, found that it was a thing. And it was like, oh, this is what I want. Like, this is exactly what I need to do. Um, so yeah, so I got my personal training certification in order to get the health coaching certification and start some personal training. Um, but that's not really what I wanted. You know, I wanted this whole picture of health. And so I started working with women and just women in general, just creating healthier habits. Um, but that really changed when I went through kind of my own fertility journey and totally narrowed in on who I wanted to work with, which is people just like myself that, you know, got a little too into health and fitness um, and then struggled getting pregnant. And that whole kind of change I had to make in my own life um, that I really didn't have, you know, I kind of pieced together some support. So that's who I wanted to be, be supportive of. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Most of us come <laughs> to this work because of a personal passion from one angle or another. So of course you mentioned that you struggled with your fertility in the context of the topic we're going to be talking about today, which is like exercise and body weight and making sure that your cycle is regular. Yep. So tell me a little bit more about your personal fertility journey, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, of course. So, um, a big issue with me was I stayed, I was on the pill for like 13 years, 12, 13 years straight. Um, cause it worked fine for my body and I got on it when I was like 18 and it worked. So I didn't think about it. Right. It was just part of my routine. Well, I got into marathon running and I think my first marathon was 2010. And over the course of six years, I ran seven marathons wow. and yeah. That's motivation, <laughs> and, man. I, I've never been into running. So I know it's, and I'd always tell people if they're like, I hate running. I'm like, don't, don't run just to run. You have to enjoy it. You have to like it or you're going to be miserable. Um, but you know, I really did love it. I, it was kind of, it was my hobby. It was how I met friends. I would do run groups. You know, I did a race probably every month, either, you know, five, 10 K half marathon. Um, and after my seventh marathon, like the next month, my husband and I had been married, I think three, two and a half years at that point. And we're ready to start a family. And, you know, I'm under the impression that I'm going to go off the pill and it might not come back the first month, but yeah. I can get pregnant, you know, three months I'll be pregnant. Right. Yeah. And, you know, spoiler alert, did not get a period. <laughs> and after three months, I think I went to the, my OB and said, you know, I'm, I am type A, I am a planner. So I went be like right when I was going off the pill and was like, we're going to try to get pregnant. What do I need to know? You know, <laughs> tell me everything. And, you know, she said it, it could take a little while to get your period back just because of being on the pill. If it hasn't come back in three months, come back. So, I mean, right at three months, I was back in the office and she um, did the Provera challenge, which is supposed to induce a bleed. Mm -hmm. And we did it twice with nothing. Wow. So nothing happened. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is it. I, I do this one test, 
in a week, I'll start a bleed, then we're on our way. And it didn't happen like that. And she said, um, you know, you have, um, it might be a running, you know, we talked somewhat about my exercise habits and, and she said, we might have to cut back on your run. You probably have to cut back on your running. And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> you know, it's part of me. And, and with my personality and how regimented I was with it, I was like, okay, how much can I run? You know, it wasn't like, okay, cool. I'll like lay off the running. It was like, I need to know how many miles I can run, <laughs> how fast I can run them. Like I'm going to do up to that point. Right. I still wasn't in, okay, I'll just stop running. It was, well, how much can I do? And you know, she doesn't have time to sit through and go through all of this and everything. Her end point was, it's probably why you're not getting a period, lay off the running. Right. And, and no, go back, you know. So she said, you know, I think, you know, I need you to see a specialist, see a fertility specialist. Did not give me any suggestions on how to go about finding one or references or anything, or referrals. Um, so you know, again, I'm thinking I'm going to see the specialist and they'll do some tests. They'll put me on whatever medication I, you know, to even me out and we'll be on our way. Um, he found, I had no uterine lightning. Ooh. I, none. <laughs> He's like, that is why you're not bleeding. You know, the, the birth control is covering it up. So who knows when I lost the period, it could have been after marathon number one. I, I have no idea. It could have been years. Um, but you know, it's like, okay, once you know better, you do better. But I still wasn't given that, okay, how do I go about this? Because it's, it was, it's who I was, and, you know, as a runner. And it's, it was a huge part of who I am. And it was my hobby. It was a lot of my friends were from running. I was still coaching marathoners. <laughs> so it's so intertwined in my life that it's not that easy, you know? And then you need something else to fill that space because that was a big stress relief for me. So just stopping running was going to be stressful, which you don't want in the fertility journey, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, there's the yeah. stress that comes from the running, but then there's the, the also the stress yeah. of kind of losing something that you have a bit of identity wrapped up in. Yeah. You know, I think for a lot of people, it's like, like you, for you, it's stress management, but for others, it's like that achievement aspect. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's all kind of rolled into one. Totally. And, yeah. Trying to take something like that out that that's achievement oriented, that's an identity piece, something you enjoy doing, like that is really hard. And it, you know, I liked the, like I said, I'm a planner. I liked, okay. I, I looked at it this fertility and getting pregnant almost as a marathon plan of, okay, I run this many miles on these days in three months, I do a marathon. It was okay. I'm totally lost. What do, what do we do next? <laughs> and how do I kind of offset that, you know, kind of scared feeling of the unknown when I can't go to the one thing that like gave me that comfort, <laughs> you wow. know? And so, um, I did cut back. I cut back to, I was doing probably around 30 miles a week and cut back to like eight or nine miles a week. So I was still running, but like drastically different, right? I did not do any races. I was not doing any interval runs. I was just going out for like 30 minutes to just be able to get out and run. Um, I, you know, he said, you need to put on body fat because that is estrogen <laughs> and you do not have any. <laughs> so I had to put on some body fat, which um, cutting back on the running helped with that, but I was going to have to eat more. 
And I didn't even realize how much I was pretty much restricting, especially when I'm not running. I had that feeling of, oh, I shouldn't eat as much as I was eating when I wasn't eating the calories in the first place. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be a fitness model. So I'm not sure why I, you know, you're in that, like we briefly talked about before we started was that kind of diet culture of you don't want to gain weight. You know, you need to look a certain way. And sometimes I think you have these beliefs that you don't realize you, you have until you're forced to change them. (laughs) And so it was, you know, I put on, I think like I'm probably, I'm 15 pounds heavier now than when we started this whole thing. And I think I got up I was probably at least 10 to 12 pounds heavier um, when we were ready to actually go to IVF. So between kind of point A and point B, we did an IUI. And then we tried three more times to do an IUI, but the, the cycles were all canceled because we still couldn't get my follicles to where they needed to be, which told me, okay, you know, I'm, luluckily we had really great insurance but it's not still not free <laughs> and it's emotionally taxing and time and it was i just had this feeling of okay if if we're going through all this i need to do all that i can do to make sure this works because ivf even is not as you know is not a guarantee to work and i wanted to get my body in the best place to um to accept and carry a healthy pregnancy Um, We did, let's see, so I went off the pill in February of 2016, and in February of 2017, we started stems for an egg retrieval, Um, and that went, I got 19 eggs, and we were down to two embryos. Oh, that must have been really hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because, you know, 19, you know, and 11 fertilizing, great, and okay, we got two, okay, and the first one, um, so at this point, I was maybe running twice a week. Um, I was up like at least 10 pounds, but still working out, um, not going all out. I mean, I was not like going intense in any way, but I was still working out um, and still on the low end of weight of BMI, if you look at it from a BMI perspective. And the first one was a chemical pregnancy. So I was barely pregnant and then I was not. And then I stopped running. And it's like, okay, we're going to try again next month. And that is when it really kind of hit me that I was still living in this place of, okay, I'm making these changes now. Um, but once I get pregnant, once I have a baby, then like I can get back to it. And I didn't realize I was still kind of had those thoughts and I would see these like Facebook, you know, a year ago, five years ago. And it's like, man, I was like, oh, that's after that race. I was, oh, I can't wait to be that fast again. And it was suddenly like, I don't want to go back there. (laughs) And it was just this shift of like, that wasn't a good spot for me. Like there were fun aspects of it, but is that really where I want to go? Like clearly it was not good for my body. And this is not, I, what would, what good would it do if I've come all this way and made all these changes to just revert back? Like, I was getting red flag after red flag (laughs) and that's what it took, I think. And so I stopped running. The next cycle worked. I did not run through my pregnancy. I did not, you know, and it's safe to run through pregnancy. I mean, for many women, it is safe to continue running. Um, So I don't want to scare anyone that they can't run through pregnancy. But for me, it was like, okay, this is, this is a break. This is a 10 month definite 
break that I'm just going to take and see what else I like to do. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it was a really, it was, I was so excited to be pregnant that it was easy to not run through pregnancy. Yeah. Um, I was very scared at the first trimester. Um, so did not want to, you know, I didn't want to like cough too hard. <laughs> and <laughs> so, you know, it was easy kind of to, to stop throughout, you know, I continued working out. Um, once I hit the second trimester, I would do weights. Um, I did a lot more yoga and that's kind of how I look to this day. You know, my son is now two, he's just over two and I got my cycle back at, um, he's about a year and a half. And mm -hmm. it was because I continued, you know, I run occasionally, but it's different circumstances. It's different reasoning. I'm eating so much more <laughs> and just that my body has shown that it can heal from that and come back if you listen to it. <laughs> so it took a lot for me to listen to it, <laughs> but I am, I am listening to it now and um, can have these total different reactions to, you know, reasons to why I run and seeing old pictures of myself and not feeling like I want to go back there. I mean, it's, it's a really big change, but it, it did take, take a lot of different, um, kind of mindset shifts and practices and different resources, reaching out to different people to get me to the spot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that's an awesome story of recovery. And that's amazing that you were able to, you know, recover your cycle and also just, you know, that transforming the mindset that you were able to do that successfully and are now in a place where you can talk about this for other women that might be going through some of the same things at this particular point. And maybe they haven't had a provider that's told them, Hey, you need to look at, you know, your eating habits and your exercise habits and see if this might be why some, some things aren't working out the way that you're hoping so I guess that's a, a good transition to start talking about like, what is the impact? You know, we're talking yeah. about being really low in body weight and we're talking about exercising too much, not mm -hmm. eating enough calories. And so talk about how some of these things can really impact hormones in the menstrual cycle. You've mentioned what happened in your situation, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, really intense exercise, you know, we're talking about, it's very prevalent in endurance runners. Um, just high intensity runners, CrossFitters, is that intense exercise over and over when it's too much that it suppresses the hypothalamus and there goes your reproductive system. And if you're not supporting it with enough calories, which I think is a huge um, issue for women because they don't know what enough calories is. When I say enough calories, I mean like 2,500 calories a day, whether you are running or not, whether you're working out at all or not you need that many calories to not only function, but to function, you know, optimally to have everything in working order. You need so much more than you think you do. And I hate telling people to count calories, but if you're not at all, it is good to at least take a look for like three days over what you're eating to see where it is. Cause if you think you're eating a lot and it's 1800, it's not enough. It's, yeah. it's just not. And I think another kind of different way I look at it now is what is health, what is considered healthy and what is considered healthy for fertility. So considered healthy, you know, a BMI, which, you know, isn't the be all end all to measure health. But what we see is that, you know, 18, 18 and a half to 25 BMI is healthy, but for fertility, it's 20 to 24. Mm -hmm. So 
that's a difference. I mean, that can be a difference of at least 10 pounds. So, you know, you think you're at this healthy weight, but are you healthy for fertility is kind of a different question. Um, body fat is huge. You know, that's where estrogen is. Like we need fat on our bodies to produce estrogen, to be able to conceive, to be able to carry a healthy pregnancy. Um, minimum of 18% to conceive, but really women with under 22% um, body fat have lower levels of estrogen and that can create that ovulatory dysfunction. And maybe it's not as extreme. You know, I was the extreme end, hypothalamic amenorrhea, where I'm not getting a period at all. But if your periods are just maybe a little longer, maybe mm -hmm. they're a little unpredictable, yeah. you might not even be ovulating. You know, it, just because it's not you know, totally absent doesn't mean it's not functioning properly. Right. So I feel like it's, you know, this difference that I want women to know that just because your textbook quote unquote healthy does not mean you're healthy for fertility. And so there's kind of some deeper numbers to look into. Yeah, totally agree. And <laughs> I think it, it is hard, like we were talking about earlier, you know, with diet culture and what we consider ideal, you know, in terms of like a body type that a woman is supposed to have versus a body type that can support, conceive, carry a pregnancy, build another human. I mean, if you think about it like that, you know, you're building a person. And if you have very little on yourself in terms of fat, I mean, of course, yes, that affects your hormones, but I think it's, it's also going to affect if you are able to conceive, it's going to affect your kind of your hardiness through pregnancy and that postpartum oh, yeah. recovery period as well, because, you know, especially if you're not feeding your body with enough nutrients and you're underweight to start with, baby is going to be the priority, right? Like if that pregnancy is going to start stealing from you in order to create this new human, you know, they're, they're like little parasites. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And that becomes the priority. And so it can be really taxing on mom. Uh, and I have certainly seen that, you know, in clients that have had previous pregnancies and struggle with like secondary infertility, for instance, yeah. that postpartum like depletion stage where it's just like, this has taken everything I have. Everything. To they take in. everything, yeah. which is great. It's how it should be. They need to get it first, but then where does that leave you? And like you said, with secondary infertility, mm -hmm. it's okay. Now, now, now you, what stories do you have to even rebuild? where do you go from there? And if you're not used to having those habits and looking at what you're eating, the chances of you rebuilding it without, especially without any help, it's, it's really, it's really hard. Yeah. And I agree with you about like the counting calories when we're talking about eating more and making sure that like, you know, you're, you're getting enough calories. I mean, for me, it's like, if you really focus on nutrient density in the diet, then you don't have to count calories to the yes, same Yeah. Like and you, I, yes, true. That you don't have to count. I think it's, yeah, looking at a food journal, even just taking pictures of what you eat throughout the day and just looking at the overall picture mm -hmm. <laughs> can be enough because, yeah, it totally depends on how full do you feel. And maybe you think you feel really full, but if you're full on something that's not that nutrient dense, mm -hmm. you know, you're not really getting what, what you need. Yeah. And especially if you're limiting foods that we've been traditionally told are unhealthy, like especially with fat. fat <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I noticed that as a real that. sticking point in food journals. It's always typically what I see is not enough calories overall. And I would have to say that probably 75% of my clients, when I look at their food journal, I'm like, you're not eating enough. Just 
whether they have a history of issues with yeah, their, body, yeah. like you're not eating enough and it's a little too carbohydrate heavy and you're not getting some of that really high quality protein and that fat that really helps like nourish your hormones and your endocrine mm -hmm. system and your feel good sleep better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's everything. And yeah, no, that's so true. And I really, it's just shocking how I just feel like we were led to believe that we need so, so little <laughs> and, and then we're working out on top of it, which is it's stress and stress and stress, right? It's, you're just overtaxing your body and then you're probably not sleeping enough. I know I would set my alarm to get up early to go for a long run. So there's two stressors. <laughs> Well, and you know, the other thing about, especially with over-exercise, since that's one of the things that we're talking about in this episode, you know, you are, you are stressing your body to some degree. And, you know, if you're operating at a higher level of cortisol throughout the day, I really feel like that being in that stress response and that fight or flight mode all day long also really suppresses your ability to recognize other things that are happening in your body. Even simple things like I'm hungry or I'm thirsty or, oh, I'm having this, you know, crappy symptom or I'm having pain here. Like a lot of times when that cortisol is so elevated and you're really kind of using running like for that rush, you know, that feeling that you get from it, it's really suppressing some of the other feelings that you might need to be tuning into to figure out like, Hey, is, is this affecting my fertility? Like what's, what else is going yeah. on in my body and how is that impacting like my cycle and my hormones and how balanced and healthy I feel? Well, and it's because you get at least my, this is how I was, is that you're so focused on this is the workout I'm doing today. Like nothing is going to stop me. <laughs> like this is the workout I'm doing and I'm tired. Oh, well, I just need to suck it up and push harder. You know, it's not, I'm tired. I don't need to do this today or I don't need to push this hard today. Can I swap it out? And there was just no swapping it out. There was, this is my plan. And this is, I mean, seriously to extremes where like, I mean, I had like food poisoning one night and like two days later I was like doing my run. It's like, Whoa. now I didn't like work out for a week when I had the stomach flu, you know? And it's just like seeing it as, okay, this is just something I have to overcome because I have to do this run instead of, okay, I need to take care of me. The run's going to be there. I'm not an Olympic athlete. Like... <laughs> No one cares if I run today or not, except for me. And that's where so many women, I think, get stuck is they're disappointing themselves. And they think, you know, I, I failed if I don't do this workout or I failed if I, if I eat too much, if I, you know, I can't have dessert if I didn't work out. There, A, there's no rule on that. <laughs> and you're the only one that is paying attention. No one else is paying attention. You gained 10 pounds. No one noticed that I gained 15 pounds. No one noticed <laughs> except for me, you know? And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves and really think that other people are, are noticing things that aren't, aren't real. That's completely true. And that just really brings up, I think with this particular topic, really in every topic that we're discussing about surrounding fertility, but in this one, especially, I think that there are some big mind body healing pieces that are really critical, you know, investigating where is that sense of drive coming from? You know, is that something that 
altered the way that I view things emotionally? Have I put unnecessary pressure on myself because of something else that kind of led to that behavior and then our culture really reinforced it? Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of mind-body healing that's necessary in fertility, but for sure here when we're talking about something that is so kind of achievement-minded where there's a lot of like tracking and goal setting mm -hmm. and, and how women get to that point where they feel so like tied to that and they feel like they get so much validation from it. Like it's not a bad thing to have goals. Like that's amazing. But when you're pushing yourself beyond right. a point where it's reasonable or healthy and you're noticing how that's affecting your body, that's, it's too far. And, you know, I remember going to the doctor, just a regular checkup years before this. I don't remember yours. I, I think I was marathon running at the time, but maybe I just done a couple. And I remember my doctor going, you know, marathons aren't healthy. <laughs> I was like, huh? Okay. You know, and just kind of brushed it off and went on. And now I'm like, I hear you now. <laughs> there's no need to run that much. You know, it's this excessive and it is this, um, you know, I really don't feel like I have that personality of, you know, addiction, but I mean, I was addicted to that feeling for sure, because it was like, you said that drive and I need to deserve it. If I didn't, my God, if I, you know, went out to do eight intervals and like something happened, I only did seven or I didn't hit my time. It was, I mean, it was like, it would ruin my day, you know, and like, no one, no one cares and it doesn't matter. And it mattered to me. And that was the thing I had to work on was having that not matter to me so much that to see that it didn't make any difference, you know? Yeah. And it's very, a much less stressful way to live on the other side of it. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I've not, I've not ever gotten into like running or exercise as like one of my achievement oriented things. Uh -huh. uh, maybe that's because of like years of struggling with chronic illness and like just barely having enough energy for like the regular day, yeah. <laughs> but I can, yeah, I can definitely relate to that in, in other areas of life. You know, when you make a goal for yourself and like something happens or you can't meet that goal and like the way you beat yourself up about it, that feeling I can definitely relate yes. to, yes. Though not specifically for exercise. Okay. So let's dig into this a little bit more for some people who might be listening and their interest is peaked. They're like, Hmm, maybe this sounds like me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about kind of some of those red flags. Like if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, Oh, this might apply to me. What sorts yeah. of like thought patterns or behaviors, what are the red flags? flags that we're looking for that might indicate that something's going on with food or fitness that's affecting fertility. And yeah. And, you know, I briefly touched on some of them, but really just your mood. How is your mood tied to your workouts? Because does it ruin your day? Like, would you ever take an off day? Just an unplanned, I should say, an unplanned off day. Because that was big with me is, yeah, I took an off day, but it was planned. An unplanned off day did not happen. It didn't happen. I, unless I'm like actively throwing up <laughs> or right. I like broke a leg, it's not going to happen. And how does that affect your mood? Are you in the worst mood because you didn't like do your entire workout or like the class you're going to at the gym was canceled and you feel like you didn't get as good of a workout on your own? Cause I know you're still going to do one. <laughs> do yeah. Do you take rest days? Do you alter your eating? Um, based on your workouts. I mean, that's a big one. And you alter your eating or workout based on like the previous meal. 
oh, I like went out, you know, for we had dessert last night. So like, I'm going to run longer or I'm going to do a harder workout or I'm not going to eat as much today based on what I ate yesterday. That's a big one. And some of these things you don't realize you're even doing, you know, um, really, I, I so feel like it's, it's the mindset around it. It is the mindset of, I can't do this because I didn't reach this goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are you checking things off and just how does it affect the rest of your day? Um, just that feeling of guilt. Um, also, are all of your workouts like all high intensity? <laughs> Cause I didn't consider yoga a workout before, like at all. It was just like, a side thing that I did sometimes where now it's like, it's a workout. It's yoga. It's how I'm moving my body. It's a workout. I didn't really count it as a workout unless I was like sweating and wondering if I could like push myself any harder. Um, a lot of people I see, it's like, if you, um, if you only work out for like an hour, (laughs) it's like hour is your minimum, you know, no, no 20 minute, 30 minute workouts. Yeah. And also with like limiting or restricting calories. So maybe you are heavily counting calories. I did for a long time. And I realize now that I haven't counted calories in a couple of years. And I didn't really realize that until that pop thought popped into my head the other day. I was like, I used to count them like for, I didn't need to count calories. I was not trying, I was not quote unquote trying to lose weight, but I was definitely trying to maintain. Yeah. And so I had this like, you know, I would, I would limit, I would be really strict in my healthy eating. Um, going out to a restaurant, do you order based on what looks and sounds good? Or is it purely, what is the healthiest thing I can order? Because you see menus in a different way. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And like adding things in your head. And of course, like if, if anybody is experiencing like a, a defined or diagnosed history of disordered eating too, that's a big risk factor um, for this. There's a lot of overlap there. Cause it's a really kind of gray area where it's, yes, you maybe don't have a di- eating disorder, but you have disordered eating habits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And that you can't easily give up. I mean, do you spend significant hours planning your workouts and, and meal plans, you know, and kind of moving those around and well, I'm going to do a long run this day. So this day I can have a little more calories. So I'll move this meal over here. I mean, it shouldn't take, it, it does not need to take that much time. It doesn't need to take any time. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And it's this added level of emotional stress, just planning that, that you're doing every day and that guilt that you're with every day. If you don't do a certain workout or if you eat a little extra or, you know, I mean, I, I just had, if you have food, you have all these rules around food that are based on these workouts. It's just a red, a red flag that something is a little, a little off and something you kind of look deeper into. Yeah. I think disordered eating, especially is really a spectrum, you know, and you have some more mild behaviors that like aren't super disrupting your daily life or really disrupting your health. And then of course you can be at a more extreme end where it's, it's a diagnosable condition and really significantly affecting just your ability to be healthy and function on a daily basis. So I think it's important to recognize that, like, just because you're doing some of the behaviors that we're talking about, that doesn't mean that you have an eating disorder, but it might mean that you don't have a healthy relationship with food and that you're kind of punishing yourself or 
we're operating off of some of these negative emotions that really might not have their, they really might have their root in something else, like something emotional, some other thing that needs to be looked at further. Well, and it's, it's a slippery slope. I mean, I think that, you know, you might not, you didn't from one day to the next go into this, that you slowly, you know, I wasn't always running marathons. I wasn't always a runner. I didn't run till like late college, but as you get more and more into it, do things slowly change? So now you're in the spot where you look back and you're like, Hey, five years ago, I was not like this at all. Like what slowly happened? What small changes did I make that was a small change once in a while? And now this is how I order, you know, something that I didn't really worry about, but occasionally, and now it is like always on my mind. So just kind of tracking that and like seeing, wait, did I like walk myself to this point and didn't even realize it? Yeah. Slow, you know, things like that can be really slow. Behavior change can be slow and you don't recognize it until maybe you're in a doctor's office and he's like, you don't have any uterine lining because you're not making estrogen. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about kind of getting to a point where maybe some listeners might be ready to make some of these changes, but it just feels kind of massive, you know, especially if there's a lot of identity and achievement wrapped up in Mm -hmm. some of these habits. Like how do you get support to start making these habit changes? Yeah. Um, the biggest support that I found um, was, and I'm not sure if you've talked to her before, but um, the book, No Period, Now What? Yeah, I have that book. Yeah. Okay. So it is an amazing book. And for one, <clears throat> it is just full of personal accounts and stories of women just like you that have gone through this journey and struggled with it and their feelings are exactly what you will be feeling. Reading that book was, oh, it was such a motivator. It's like, oh, I found my people. (laughs) And better yet, she has a Facebook group. So it's, I think it's just called, I think it's hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery, Um, but it's people actively going through it right now that are posting, I really want to run today. (laughs) And it's almost like a support group for (laughs) anti-exercise because it's really just helping you. You're finding your people that really love a good workout and working out isn't bad, but it's not what you need to be focused on at this moment. Right? So it's not like you will never run again. You will never work out again. It's step back, get your cycle back and then ease into it. You know, it's almost like when people do the whole 30 and then reintroduce food, (laughs) it's like totally cut it out and slowly ease back in and see what your body can take because you've gotten to that point so far down that your body cannot handle that exercise. So you kind of need to remove it and it's really hard to do. So that Facebook group is great. Um, as far as going through the infertility journey, um, I mean, podcasts like this are awesome. Beat infertility was great because it's just people telling their stories of infertility and just going through their story and their journey. So then you've got that sense of, I'm not alone. This is not, this is not, you know, um, the solo endeavor. And really, I think changing or at least looking at your social circles. So like I said, I had a ton of friends from one group. I've had a client that was a personal trainer and owned a gym, like, that fitness world is her life. And for me, it was, you know, I was run coaching. So to look at, can I pull back from what's kind of painful? Cause maybe I'm not going to be running much anymore. And I don't want to keep getting asked, are you doing such and such race? Or are you going to be at the run on Saturday? 
because it's painful to keep being reminded of that when you're trying to step back from it. It's just like salt in the wound. So can you, you know, step back from all, but hey, I'm going to take a break. You don't have to share everything, but hey, can I take a little, I'm going to take a little break from, from one group for like two months and just see how that goes. And start being with these friends that maybe you were putting off because you didn't want to go out for happy hour or you, they were going out for dessert and you don't want to go or it interfered with your boot camp class. Start kind of going back to those friends and reintroducing that kind of aspect of life that you probably put on the back burner and friends that you put off because it didn't, you know, you don't eat at those types of restaurants or it's a, you know, Super Bowl party based around foods. So I'm just not going to go because it's easier to just not go. So how can you kind of change who you're interacting with um, on a social circle on a friend base day after day? Yeah. I mean, I think that's hard about changes in, in other areas too, like myself having to go so limited for short periods of time on my journey, like doing eliminations and how that affected the social circle and how well people were actually understanding what you were trying to do and like dealing, yeah. dealing with the judgment that you place on yourself for those changes. And then also dealing with kind of whether it's true or not, like thinking that other people are judging you for that. And yeah, yeah sometimes you're right. It's like feels easier to not go, but then that isolation kind of becomes a problem on its own. And that routine change, it starts to get kind of depressing, you know, when you're having right. to remove these remove yourself from these situations that used to like feel really good and, and be nourishing and exciting and fun to participate in. Yes. And I think that, you know, you don't have to go into tons of detail because in the best way, people don't care that much. <laughs> so for like runners, you know, if they're asking about a race or what are you training for, something as simple as saying, oh yeah, I'm not going to really race this season. Um, I'm taking a little break. How about you? Ask about them. They will move right on they're not going to dwell, they're not going to go home and be like, I wonder why she's not running. <laughs> You're the only one thinking that. And so just to know that people aren't, you know, so affected by, by these choices, you know, be as open as you want, but take a step back if it's hurting to be around certain groups and kind of see what groups feel good, good to be around. Yeah. Agreed. So let's talk a little bit more about this coming to this acceptance, you know, for you about having to cut back on running, like you talked a little bit about your mindset, but like, what was that process like for you? And what was sort of the final guess, nail in the coffin, you know, with yeah. the running thing, like, what was that thing that just made you say, okay, I, I just have to be, I have to be done with that. Yeah. And I always say you can't force the mind shift, but I like definitely nudge them along, like help my clients kind of make the environment so it will happen. And one of the kind of practices we do is going through, okay, what are your, your core values? What are your top priorities right now? Not two years ago, not 10 years ago. What are your top priorities right now, which are you know, getting a cycle back, having a baby and looking at the actions you're doing and do they align? Because when I was looking at it, I'm like, this is what I want most in the world. We are going through IVF. It is so extreme. I did not think I would be to this point. And I am told time and time again that running is hurting those chances. Why am I running? And it was just like, why? it doesn't match up. If this is what I want most, and I'm told that this could be an issue with it, why do I keep doing it? 
and I need to eat more and I feel like I'm eating more, but oh wait, I'm still, you know, getting low fat instead of full fat dairy or, you know, all those little choices that we do that were so kind of routine and I wasn't even thinking about totally change them. You know, why am I, I'm, I'm just getting in my own way. It, that's the feeling is that I'm getting in my own way. I'm slowing myself down. If I go all in, then I'm not going to have that thought of, well, what if I did a little more? If I just do all that I can, then I know that I put everything I had into it. And I wasn't the one stopping this because that was the hard realization. Um, it was kind of hard and it was kind of good because when I realized it was hypothalamic amenorrhea, that first thought was I did this to myself. I did this, like, this is my fault. I did this to myself. But then, you know, I can't just sit with that. <laughs> it's not going to do anything. Then that thought was, okay, well, I can reverse it. What can I do? And so that kind of became that new goal. And I guess the new mindset was, I'm going to do the most I can. This is my new goal. I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that, that it comes true. I like that because you can kind of take that mindset, that goal-oriented achievement mindset, and then you can apply it to something that's more nourishing for your body. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, maybe that thought pattern or that belief system like might've developed in a less than healthy way originally, but you can still take that approach and, and apply it to something that allows you to create a different goal. And if that goal is I'm going to do everything that I can so I can be healthy for my pregnancy or healthy for my IVF cycle, healthy enough to conceive naturally, whatever the situation is, you know, you can, you can still use that mindset and, and mm -hmm. make something more nourishing out of it. Totally. Totally. And I still find I use so many lessons, um, that I learned from being a runner, like to get me through pregnancy and through the delivery process and through just being a, you know, mom of a newborn. Um, you know, even though I wasn't actively running, it was just like, oh, it taught me some lessons. So I took something from it. And like, now I'm kind of just using it in a different way. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love <laughs> it. So let's kind of talk guidelines now at this point. What are you recommending to clients for, you know, for fertility in terms of what types of exercise they should be doing? What's the cap on how much is too much? Um, yeah. And it's so hard because it's so individual. Yeah. <laughs> it's so individual. And that, you know, that's a problem because I feel like a lot of women, myself included, was like, well, you know, she's running marathons and she has a kid well, she's not you. <laughs> and who knows how that baby came to be. And so, you know, it's not one size fits all, but generally it's really limiting the high intensity. I mean, once or twice a week of like, like 20 minutes tops of high intensity is plenty to get a great workout and that endorphin boost. If you enjoy that, you don't have to do it, but that's where I would cap that high intensity workout. And if you've totally lost your period, I would not be doing high intensity. You know, there's kind of, like we said, that spectrum. Um, but in general, for fertility, one to two days of like 10 to 20 minutes of high intensity, the rest should be moderate. The rest is like 30 minutes, five days a week. And that sounded insanely low to me. It was like, how would I even, like, that's nothing. That's like a warm up. <laughs> um, and that's not, you know, it's not this hard stop, like something's going to happen if you go to 45 minutes, right? But in general, 30 minutes, five days a week of some moderate movement is excellent. So what I love to recommend is 
walking, which I would have laughed at myself when I was a runner if someone suggested that I walk, <laughs> but I absolutely love it now. And I have to walk every day um, just to get out in the sun. And that's the biggest thing that I think helped me kind of cut back and change is I looked at what do I love about exercise? I love being outside. I love that time to myself to be with my own thoughts. I love just moving my body and that kind of fit the bill. So if you're looking to change your routine, look at what you love about what you're doing right now and what can you find that is less intense and easier in your body, but still kind of checks those boxes. Is it alone time? Or if it's being with a group, can you do a different group exercise class? Um, strength training is still great. It's just not going as intense, right? You're not lifting to failure. You're doing maybe 30 minutes. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be all body weight, but you're lifting so you can do like 12 repetitions and not be dead at the end. You should not be gasping for breath ever. <laughs> you should not be, you know, having to drop the weight. You should be able to finish the complete um, class or, or workout. Swimming is really good. And okay. that you can do throughout pregnancy. So that's excellent. And yoga. Yoga is... I'm so much more flexible now that I'm not running as much and have continued to do even more yoga. I can like fully put my hand flat on the floor, which was, I cannot even touch my toes <laughs> before all of this, which is crazy. But I feel like this, having this mix, having this wider range to make sure you're getting that mind body, like yoga or meditation, Pilates even, and then couple days of the moderate. So whether that's power walking, going for a light jog, like 30 minutes just to get your heart rate up, but you're not pushing it. You should feel like you could go for an hour, but you're just going to do 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and swimming is really, swimming has been um, a big one for a lot of my clients. I feel like that's been this good switch. And a lot of times if they were running, it's a totally different workout. So it gives them this new goal to learn something new and to do a different workout that is totally different on their body, but it's so much gentler. Yeah. I like, I like applying that goal mindset to something different. Like what if your goal is variety in your week for exercise, yes. like work your body in different ways and make sure that like all of your muscles are getting a workout, but you're also getting some stretching in and, you know, maybe you have a goal about flexibility or something else. Like taking that mindset and applying it to something that's going to work a little bit better. It's yeah. pick a new goal because yoga can be very challenging. And again, you don't want to switch it out for, well, I'm going to do the hardest yoga that there is, right? right. That's not going to work. <laughs> but to say, can I hold these poses for a little longer, right? It's being still in it. And how can I still create a challenge? I mean, I think really with all of my clients, what our goal is, is to set a new routine that they enjoy. Because you can't say, don't work out. And even if that new routine, if they are so far that they've lost a cycle, and even if that new routine is we're going to get this many like walks in and this many yoga classes, it's still a goal. And it gives them that point of being able to write it down in their workout log and check it off. If that is what floats their boat and that is what they need to feel sane through this, even if it's just trying, you know, maybe the goal like for that month is trying to find their new thing okay, experiment with swimming this week, experiment with like different yoga classes, go to a Pilates class, see if you like that, go to bar, find something that you feel like you could enjoy doing. Honestly, now mine is, I do a dance class once a week that like makes me cry. It's, it's so intense and makes me so happy. 
that I didn't even get that much from running. And I would not have found that if I was in this regimented running plan, never, you know, wavered from my routine. I wouldn't have given a chance. I wouldn't have counted it as a workout. And it's what I look forward to the most. I love that, that you've been able to find something that gives you more, like, I guess, pleasure than what you were getting from running. So, I mean, this is definitely an opportunity. I, I'm sure for a lot of listeners who are experiencing this, this, this doesn't feel like an opportunity. This kind of feels like a death sentence to this thing yeah. that they've really yeah. loved and, and really committed themselves to. And so it's nice to hear from somebody who has kind of been through this and been able to find a way to still have exercise be fun and nourishing and be able to set goals for it still without it like taking so much vitality from you. And I think it's important to think of the menstrual cycle exactly the way that our friend Lisa Hendrickson Jack talks about it in the fifth vital sign. It is a sign of your well-being. And essentially, if you're exercising so much that one of your vital signs is no longer there, <laughs> it's no, no longer vital <laughs> or trackable. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically exercise intolerance to me. Like if you can't handle the amount of exercise that you're doing while still being able to maintain one of your body's vital signs, you are intolerant to the amount of exercise that you're yes. doing. Yes. And I, I mean, I just want to say if, you know, you're listening to this and you're like me, four years ago. And is like, there is no way I cannot run and be happy. And you can't, I think, open your mind to let's just try it. Just try something different. And that's the hardest part is that people get excited that first like week or two. Okay. I'm going to change. I'm going to change it. And then they see the scale going up, which is what they want, but it makes them nervous and they just want to go for a run or something else happens and they want to go in that comfort and go for a run. They're getting antsy. Don't undo that work. Just sit with it and let it be uncomfortable and know that it is, it's not the end of the world. You not running is going to be okay. And maybe you get through this journey and you go back to running. Maybe you can go back and find out that maybe it's not as intense and maybe it's different, but you still love to run. It's not like you'll never do it again, but I'm going like once every couple of weeks now. And the reason I go is because the weather looks nice and I've got the energy and I feel like it and there's no other reason. And it's really freeing. It's, it really is to not, I won't even run, you know, I, I had my garment on and would start it and would run around up and down my street to like hit that mile. I don't even run with a watch anymore. It was just like to see what feels good and then I'm done. And I'll walk up a hill if I don't feel like running up it, which I never would have <laughs> done before. Um, but there, there is a different side to it. And I think that if you allow it and you're open to it, it will totally change for the better your relationship with running, your relationship with exercise, because you will, you will see the real reasons why you like it and the true reasons why it's good for your health and ignore the calorie burning aspect and the achievement aspect and go purely because man, when I got back from that walk or that yoga class, who I felt so much better. Yeah. Big opportunity to reconnect with your body and really? kind of look deeper into what feels good, why it feels good. And some of the motivation behind why you might be doing it, because if it's not that it feels good, you know, if it's like, Oh, you, you only feel like you've achieved that day of exercise. If you feel like total garbage when you're done, you know, you're exhausted and depleted. That's a mindset around exercise that I feel like we struggle with in our society. That's why 
so many people like start this really intense exercise routine, like especially if they're overweight and they haven't been moving a lot. It's like, oh, the only way to go. And some of the shows that we've had about like and stuff, that's the idea, right? Like you work out until you can't work out anymore. And that's the only way you can get like like, a big transformation. And it's just so damaging. I just hate that that that's what we're showing people is the right thing to do when we're not teaching them how to be healthy and how to listen to their body. And then, you know, those people that aren't struggling with their weight and are on the other end of the spectrum where they're at risk of going underweight, not having enough body fat to support a cycle, that same mindset is there. Like you have to kill yourself to think that you've actually done a decent exercise that day. Oh yeah. Oh, there's, I mean, there's communities of, especially, you know, elite runners where, oh, you lost your period. That's a sign that you're training hard enough what oh man i mean that's like the you know oh you threw up good you did you worked out hard enough it's like yeah these are such huge signs from your body that you're not doing it right and we're just ignoring it yeah i have uh i have some facebook friends from a long time ago that are still really into exercise and um some of them are coaches and it's like i felt terrible and i had a panic attack in the middle of my workout but I still came back and finished it 20 minutes later. I'm like, go away. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about weight. Uh, Cause we've touched on that briefly, but you know, you mentioned it just in kind of the last question that we were talking about, about that anxiety about watching the scale go up. If you're cutting back on your exercise routine and you're also trying to eat more and you know, in your head that weight, gain is important, especially if you're in this spot where your body fat is not sufficient Mm -hmm. to support your hormones. So what was that experience like for you gaining weight? And, you know, were you able to take that as like a good sign that it did feel good? Or was there like a lot of emotional turmoil around that? It was like, stop and start. I feel like it was like, oh, this is what I want. This is good. I didn't know what happened this fast. Oh no, this is fine. It's evened out. Oh, these pants don't fit. And (laughs) It would go back and forth, but truly anyone, you know, my friends was, you know, that knew what I was going through. And if I'd say, you know, like they're rooting for me to put on pounds, you know, and I'd say, oh yeah, I'm up eight pounds. And all the responses I got were, you look beautiful. You look healthy. You look happy. And it was like, oh, what did I look like before? And honestly, I can look back at pictures. And it's like, I was too skinny and I didn't even see it. You know, I was, I was too thin. And I think that for one, like I said earlier, other people aren't noticing. And I, truth be told, with even gaining 15 pounds, I think I have like two pairs of pants that don't fit anymore. And that's so much, it doesn't, it's not like it's all going to one place. You feel like you're bloated at first. And that's a lot of just like the water and just eating different things. And that goes away and evens out. So I think that what helped me is when it would get uncomfortable is telling myself it's going to even out. It's my body's reacting and it's going to calm down and it totally did. And just to stick with it. And really, I think I eventually came to that point of seeing that as the success of seeing that as yes, what I'm doing is working. It's just that initial couple weeks, couple months of sticking with eating more when you're uncomfortable with it, when you feel bloated and you're not used to that feeling and just knowing that it's going to go away 
and just reminding yourself that this is your, like I said, this is your top priority. This is your biggest goal. And that's why finding other people that have been through it and saying, oh yeah, it'll even out, like just stick with it a couple more months or stick with it a couple more weeks. And it's like, okay, you just need that kind of like boost to keep going. Um, but knowing that if you revert back to your old ways, then nothing's going to change. Yeah. Because like, what are you doing anyway? If, if you're going to go back to what you were doing before, you're never, you know, it's kind of like the opposite I said of like, if you try a new workout, you know, workout routine, if you've never worked out before, well, if you go back to sitting on the couch, well, nothing's going to change. So same thing here. If you go back to restricting, if you go back to intense exercise, right back to where you started. And it sounds like this has been like just an important lesson, I guess, to learn in life or an important transformation to have even aside from the fertility journey. So, I mean, it sounds like even yeah. though that was the catalyst, like it was still important for you to start to learn how to have like a healthier relationship with your body, how to have a healthier relationship with exercise. So kind of talk about that and, you know, being able to get your period back after having yeah. your first child and, you know, this, this recovery that you've experienced as a result of changing these habits and fertility was the catalyst, but ultimately like the reward has been... Yeah greater than just having a baby. Oh, totally. I mean, and I went back and I didn't, you know, at that point after I had him and, you know, even a couple months once I had, once he was a couple months old, I felt like I had more of a routine or could make more of a routine for myself. Um, you know, I didn't want to go back. And I remember even after I got my cycle, I was sitting on the couch with my husband. I was like, you know, I think this is the heaviest I've been in a little while. And I was like, and I'm like actually fine with it. I mean, it was this real, and he was like, oh, I haven't really noticed, I guess. <laughs> he didn't notice at all. And, or I'm having this like big, like, oh, this is like heavier than I've been. And I feel healthy and I'm still strong and I can still go for a run when I want. And realizing that like, you don't totally lose fitness just by not working out as much as you did. <laughs> it is still there. Um, and just realizing how much easier things are to navigate being invited over our neighbor here is actually a retired professional chef and will like invite us over for homemade pizza. And before that would be like, no, I'm not planning on eating pizza tonight. You know, now it's like, Oh, he's having pizza. Let's go. And it's just so much easier instead of that affecting, well, then I'm going to have to run longer tomorrow or okay. Well, only have one piece to really not care. And, and this is the biggest thing after, you know, being at this for, you know, more than two years, seeing that it doesn't make that big of a difference. I mean, you feel like you're going to stop running and start eating more and you are going to gain a hundred pounds and you do not gain a hundred pounds and things even out and your body realizes that you're, it's trusting you because it didn't trust you before. That's a really... <laughs> powerful statement for sure. Well, and I, I think it's important just to mention that like, yes, weight gain is a goal, but you know, trying to focus on foods that really offer you a lot of valuable nutrition, especially when fertility is the goal, like yes, eat more calories for sure. But are, where are you getting that from? And is pounds on your body like, is that more important than nutrient density? So like, yeah, you need to right. junk food and carbs and gain weight that way. Um, or you can focus on some of these really nutrient dense foods, like yeah. healthy fats, for instance, and 
you know, quality proteins and, and, you know, maybe getting, I think there's a, there's a definite correlation that I see with over-exercising and, you know, plant-based diets that are limiting a lot of some of those most nutrient dense foods. And so not being afraid of animal foods, there's also like that really still that big fear of fat and conventional nutrition guidelines and, and so kind of reframing your mindset around that. And there's so much great material out there to explain why these things are so healthy, why they're so important for hormones. Uh, Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily. I was Lily just going to say that. Great yes. book. I swear I could talk to Lily and she's been on the podcast twice already and I've already got like five more topics I can invite her back for, but she's got two little ones at home now. So I'm like so trying good. to be respectful of her time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is super important to be focusing on nutrient density, not to the point where you're like creating another sort of disorder. That's habit the around I it. think that's the fine line of yes, focus on nutrient dense, but you should not at that point, especially if you're trying to get your period back, don't have any rules, don't restrict anything. And then once you're more comfortable with it, that's when you focus on, okay, how can I eat the most optimally, but to not kill yourself over, I have to eat the perfect clean diet. Yeah. And that's a mindset shift. That's some of that underlying mind body healing. Cause if you take that same attitude and apply it to food in a different way, it, you're going to struggle, I think with results and, and some of those same feelings and same limitations and, and kind of some yeah. unhealthy emotions and thought patterns around that. So, you know, for sure, not, not turning nutrient density into the next like right. obsession or like kind of addiction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they don't have to be totally clean. Make sure you're getting enough first and then kind of fine tune it. Yeah, totally agree with that. <laughs> this has been awesome. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, tell everybody where they can learn more from you and like connect with you on social media. Yeah, definitely. So my website is simplywellcoaching.com. And I actually have um, right now, it'll pop up with a, are you too fit to get pregnant? And it is, you will be sent a little quiz, some of the stuff I went over today, and then three kind of mindset shifts to kind of get you started on kind of, okay, I think I'm ready to make a change. Um, on Instagram, I am simply wall coaching there also. And yeah, I mean, reach out, ask questions, DM me, email me. I love connecting with people that even if you are at the point where you're like, I don't think I'm ready to start my family right now, but I will be somewhat soon. Let's talk. You know, that's the spot that's great to reach people before it's, you know, like me where I'm like, I'm ready to get pregnant. Let's go. I'm going to go off the pill and oh, it's too late. If you've got that time, then time is not another stress on you of I have to do this now. It is okay. Let's start kind of making some light changes now and kind of ease your way into it. Yeah. Time is your friend. I love it that I'm hearing from more and more women that are like, I'm not quite ready to start trying to conceive yet, but I know I have this and this and this yeah. going on and I really want to be healthy. And I'm like, you're amazing. Like, that's just, like thank so you. much of it. That's half the battle. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like I said, please reach out and ask questions. I'm happy to share any details of my story. I love connecting with women over either aspects of the exercise part, the infertility part, both. Um, it's just really nice to be able to find someone who gets you and who gets where you are right now. Yeah. I love that.
So I have to ask this because I always ask this on the podcast, um, share kind of your closing pieces of advice or like, what are your top few pearls of wisdom that you want women who are on this fertility journey to take away from this episode? I think my biggest one, um, is do not make this a black hole in your life. It's a very hard time. You don't know how long it will be, but you don't want to look back because it's going to end at some point. The, this journey will end no matter how, if you adopt, if you have a surrogate, if you do IVF, if you conceive naturally, um, you don't want to look back on this time as this like void that your only focus was having a baby and you enjoyed nothing else because you do have stuff to enjoy. I know there's days you feel like you don't, (laughs) I know that, but you do have a lot going for you and a lot going on around you that other people are envious of, whether it be your relationship, your career, anything. Um, Don't ignore that. Don't put everything on the back burner until you have that baby. Really see what you can enjoy. And it can be something really small, but don't make this this void that you look back on you don't remember or that you only remember negativity. That's fantastic advice. I, I love that. I really try to encourage people who have been struggling to continue to live life and continue to pursue things that they enjoy and, you know, deepen their relationship with their partner. This can be a really hard time. It can be very taxing on a marriage and investing in that and kind of just being able to step back a little bit from the baby journey aspect of it and say, you know, here's some other great things that happened in my life during this time. And, you know, like you said, not have it be a black hole and and still have things that you can look back on fondly and, and think about. Yes. Yeah. I so agree. (laughs) Well, this was so awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a fantastic episode. I can't wait to share it with the audience. Um, so we will link to your website and social media and the show notes for this episode. And again, I just really appreciate your time. Great. It was so nice connecting with you.